0: Well, our regular listeners know that we tried to make this show um, quite upbeat and, um, you know, always sort of looking for the, the best in the local community, etc. But it has been a difficult year. We cannot deny it. And we are running at something like 60,000 more deaths this year than would have been expected. So my next guest has come up with a very interesting concept, which is dead happy. And that, you know, has a play on words in many ways that we're always trying to be happy. But this is a concept and a business that's related to to death and to perhaps overcoming some of the taboos. So welcome to Phil Zeidler. He's the co-founder of Dead Happy. Phil, this is a very interesting and unusual business, isn't it? What are its origins?
1: Yeah, uh, well, it's an excellent question, Adrian, and thank you for having me on. Um, The origins really in my background is I've set up over time many insurance businesses, um, uh, mainly general insurance businesses. but I met my co-founder, well, sorry, I should go back one step further, actually. In 2005, I was I was very seriously ill. I was on intensive care in Northampton General Hospital. Um, I effectively had an infection that went septic, and I, I was very close to death. Um, uh, I know this because my wife, who is one of the doctors, one of the consultants there, so um, knew exactly what was going on. Um, I had a conversation and they got to the point where as, you know, there was nothing more they could do and it was just wait and see. And I was obviously lucky I pulled through. Um, and that does get you to reflect a little bit differently on life when you've come through something like that. Um, but if you then fast forward, I'd had a, had a very successful career in insurance generally. Um, but one of those things, it starts thinking about, well, if I had died, died, what would have happened? Actually, I had two young children, I had a family, I had broader responsibilities with business. Um, And that's something that played on my mind for some time. Um, And ultimately, I met my co-founder, Andy Knott, um, a few years ago, who'd had a similar sort of experience. And of course, when you think about it, um, death is is one of those topics that is possibly what we believe is one of the last taboos. Very few people talk about it. But it's the only thing that actually is going to happen. We are all dying, uh, whether that's going to be tomorrow, next week, next year or 50 years or 100 years. Um, but it, you then try and talk about it on a broader basis. And it still is a very difficult topic uh, for anyone to discuss. So um, how, is that that business,
0: really- how is your business addressing that then? And what are the sort of um, services you know, around the, the idea?
1: Well, so, so where we came at at this is, uh, I came at it from an insurance perspective, and what I discovered was that life insurance. There's eight point five million people in the UK who have no life insurance, and that's fine because not everyone has to have life insurance by any means. But there's no if if someone to die unexpectedly, um, and twenty percent of males die between the ages of eighteen and seventy, um, which I think most would argue is before. They would, they would hope, you know, expected are. Um, then, you know, if you would, if that happens to you, um, then a lot of people haven't thought about and talked about death or planned for it, um, and it's all related to this taboo um, of how death services are sold. They're sold in a very morbid way. They're a very, a very uh, inaccessible way in hushed tones, and we think this is an unhealthy attitude because we think it is the one thing that we know that's going to happen so why can't we as a society better talk about it and therefore plan for it so that as and when this inevitable end happens you know uh, all our nearest and dearest whilst having to deal with a tragedy are better able to deal with it because they've been able to talk about it and plan for it and their future uh, beyond the death of that loved one is so much more secure and so much better. Mm.
0: When did the business start and and you know how what's the sort of revenue model then
1: so um our the business actually was conceived in 2013 but we spent a long time socializing some of the ideas and coming up with the platforms for it and we really started um trading only uh, a couple of years ago Um, The core revenue at the moment um, that we draw on is um, by selling a very simplified, very easy access life insurance product. Um, It takes three minutes to do. It's all digital. It's online. You don't have to speak to anyone. And that's really come from my insurance background. Um, And we just looked at it from a customer's perspective. What are the blockers? What do you think about life insurance is such a dull complex product and we've simplified that and added a bit of humor in so if people have looked at any of our digital adverts uh, if you look on youtube you'll see them we've got these characters that talk rather more humorously about the whole concept albeit to see because that's often a a, an effective way of dealing with what is a very difficult topic is that is throwing in a bit of humor Um, and that's where we focused Um, i think one of the things that's really interesting however is we've tried to get people to think about it in a more honest way So life insurance, most people get asked, what cover do you need? And it doesn't make any sense. Um, Well, we ask a different question. We ask, what do you want to happen when you die? So it really forces the person to think about, actually, what do they want to happen? And, And we have this, something we call death wish platform, which has a whole lot of inspiration about thinking about what you might want to make happen. And there's some serious responsible ones like paying off a mortgage, or, or um, what your sort of funeral you want, all the way to some really amazing and fun ones, you know. Um, and people are, are just reimagining and starting to really engage and think about what they might want to happen when they die. And that's the conversation that we think is so important. Mm,
0: very, very interesting indeed. And what sort of people are coming? Are they older people, you know, closer to this awful... Um... Well, awful event, I say. Closer to this, or are they younger people? Are they healthy people? Are they those that have possibly have got uh, issues, health issues?
1: Um, so, the the product that we've and the the journey that we've set out is is aimed really at that market uh, about twenty five to forty year olds. It's the time when people begin to have major commitments, children, you know, getting married, mortgages. So they they need. Is to start thinking about, well, you know, if I were to, to die tomorrow, what would happen, um, but are genuinely less likely to. The older market is quite well catered for in this space. Um, I suppose as we all get older. We all think a little bit more about death, whereas younger people tend not to, to, to put it out of their minds. And, and I, I get turned away from the topic by the, you know, the general approach. So that's, that's our real the core market is that sort of uh, younger market.
0: And is the service, is there a one-to-one service, like a counselling service, or is it, you know, is it all done online? Um, how do you get that interaction with your customers?
1: So everything is done online. We have live chat, um, but we very deliberately don't have any telephones. So the only time anyone calls up is if an, in the event of a claim, so in the event of someone dying and one of the relatives calls up, and then, of course, we need to speak to someone. But actually, in through the process of exploring, you know, um, from a life insurance perspective, what, what cover you need, all, all that is pretty intuitive and online. And then there's a live um, chat uh, where we've got very experienced people to help. Um, coming out the other end, and this is an area we passionately believe in, is um, we're looking to broaden the whole services that we offer around death related services. We think this is a market that's generally. Uh, been underdeveloped from a customer perspective so things like bereavement services absolutely are on our path to generate uh, or to create so that actually anything that's related people can come and come and look and 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 ask and and find out more about um what happens when people die and, and what is the process and what are the there are some amazing products out there that you know don't generally get uh, people aren't aware of um and so almost being a, a bit of a marketplace for those sorts of death-related products but in a a, a less morbid way than you might currently find uh, if you go looking
0: yeah well you referred earlier on to um to humor and a you know a, an open transparent and light touch to what can be difficult subjects um, Phil, I think I hear your business is run along non-traditional lines as well in terms of how you manage it, how you uh, empower the people. Can you tell us a little bit about the, the management philosophy?
1: Yes, delighted, Adrian. I mean, this is, this is possibly one of the things that I'm most delighted and proud of. Um, because in my time, this is maybe my fourth or fifth startup that I've been involved in. And I've been non-exec and chair of a, a whole range of different businesses. And one of the things that I've observed over time is that people do their best work uh, um, when they're given the freedom to um, think and do as they see fit. So we've created, I've spent a lot of time creating a culture uh, within the happy environment that is, it's all about, from our our perspective as as shareholders of the business, it's all about enablement. So, you know, we see our job. uh, as a co-founder of the business, of giving people the opportunity to do their best work. And what that involves is um, ensuring that there's very limited hierarchy within the business. We think hierarchy tends to stifle um, creativity. Uh, it often uh, means that you don't, you know, some of the best ideas can come from people right on the front line, you may be your most junior staff, but those ideas won't necessarily come out unless you've developed the right environment so we create this environment where we work in what we call missions, which is um, you have a driver and a navigator of that mission it's a bit like a project um, but you have diff- uh, you know a diverse set of views uh, in each of these missions uh, drawn from every element of the business be that from product from tech from finance, from customer service, from marketing. And everyone is encouraged to contribute actively with their thoughts and their perspectives. And this gives us a real richness to to um, the solutions that we find. What the one thing we are very, very conscious of is we're a consumer facing business. And the person that the, the people that pay our bills are the customers. Now it sounds an obvious thing to say, but in insurance you would be Remar- you'd be astonished at how often everyone gets product focused rather than customer focused. So, in order to keep the customer at the heart, we look, look at drawing on everyone's perspectives um, and constantly reinventing. You know the processes that we go through to to best give the customer a better experience. So, this this sort of um, this broad um, uh, sort of way of working is very flat. Structure we believe has been really instrumental in delivering um, a, a very powerful user experience.
0: Yeah, how, how many people are you, and do you have a name for this approach to management? I mean, clearly, as an you know, as a business school academic, I'm fascinated by these different styles. But do, have you been inspired by other people? Do you have a name for it? And how many people are you able to work in this way
1: with? So, it's a great question. In that we're only a very small teams. So there's only about Um, Well, about 30 of us in total. Um, So obviously that makes it relatively easy to have these flat structures and we don't know how far this can be pressed. So we think it's got capacity to certainly take us to about 100 people, which we think we will be uh, in the course of the next couple of years. um, And we will constantly reevaluate it. In terms of our inspirations for it, we've really drawn on a whole load of these sort of new models of thinking. Um, that I'm sure you'll be very familiar with in, from an academic perspective. So the likes of TEAL is one of the systems I know that we've drawn on. Um, I'm, I'm gonna forget some of the names I'm afraid because um, we've explored all sorts of different ways and many of them we think have, have some good elements to draw on um, and some of them um, uh, I, I, and we've tried to, to pick out the very best features of all of these different sort of ways of working. Um, to 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 create it, we haven't given it a name. I suppose at the moment it is literally just the dead happy way. But um, I'm sure we should we should come up with a better better way. <laughs> Sounds uh, like
0: a bookville in the future. You know when it works. <laughs> <laughs> I mean the ones well, that I, are... go on.
1: I can tell you um, uh, one of my uh, one of my colleagues um, who has definitely going, he, he he constantly refers to the book he's going to write, um, and he's been instrumental in this. Um, it's. I mean, I think at its heart, most people would recognise be that you know um, employees or employers that people do their best work when they're happy, yeah. um, and actually that as a fundamental guiding light is crucial. One of the things as part of this way of working, we have these internal missions, and we've got. If I can share briefly, one of our favourite ones is called the Monday Morning Leap. Um, and what that the task, that whole project, ongoing uh, project is based upon, is ensuring that when people wake up and discover it's a Monday morning, they leap out of bed with excitement to go to work. Now, that's a big ambition. You know, we accept. Um, but actually, we, we feel that having that focus has really helped us adopt lots of very simple things um, that have created a brilliant environment where people love to be um and as i say we we understand that it's early days for us and we can't sort of claim uh, any huge victories with our ways of working so far in terms of the way forward for for every business but certainly for us at dead happy and, and 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 the staff there um they i think if if you spoke to any one of them they would they really value the culture that we've created and they feel valued which is of course crucial no, indeed. So it's one based on trust and
0: taking away fear, right? So that people can say what they think without fear of any consequences, because if that's on their mind, I guess it's yes. better to have hear it rather than not hear it, no?
1: Exactly. So really simple examples. You know, we have uh, I mean, a regular feature, many digital businesses to have these sort of regular stand-ups on a weekly basis, sharing things. We have one of these on a Thursday. And of course, we have shout outs for people who've done some great stuff, but we also have um, you know, um, uh, for for when people have mucked up and and we encourage everyone to share um, when they made mistakes, because we all make mistakes. In fact, what we tell people is if you haven't made a mistake, if you haven't declared you've made a mistake, then bluntly, you're either not being honest or you're not not going fast enough. You're being too careful so we we encourage people to to talk about their mistakes because that's how we learn um and there is there is never i mean if people make the same mistake twice that becomes uh, an area where we explore how that's happened if they make it a third time then that's an issue yeah. um but making mistakes is not a bad thing it's how people learn and how how um, businesses develop and so it's that sort of cultural as you say of having no fear um and we all declare them um my, myself and my co-founder all the way through the business and we encourage them to do that is is all key part of this this sort it's, of uh, this culture
0: do you think though it's it can only work in a sort of um what's what sort of relatively um Flat hierarchy, but as, where the people are of the sort of same, I don't know, educational attainment or same level of authority, like an architect's practice. As again, say in a factory where you might have PhDs down to you know people who've left school at sixteen on the factory floor. And how wide do you think this sort of approach can go?
1: I don't, we don't see you know for, on principle we don't see why that should be a barrier because you know the nature of a mistake um, you know, and, and the, the size of the mistake and the impact of a mistake will vary hugely. And that's irrespective um, of any uh, you know, of, of position that you hold. Mm. So someone on the factory floor can make a mistake that makes a huge you know, mess of the whole of the manufacturing process and someone up top can make a mistake you know, in some numbers or whatever miscalculation which can be hugely costly. So you know, we think it crosses all barriers. Um, we think, um, and we do, you know, I suppose we do have some less well-educated uh, people on our staff. It's they're not certainly not all, you know, they haven't all been to university at all. It's just this principle of you're doing your best possible job. We know you're trying your best. No one means to make a mistake. So why would you possibly um, pillar someone for, for doing that?
0: Oh, indeed. Well, look, I know when we last met in the beginning of the year, I think I shared with you some of the different things that I've come across in this line. But in the last few days, I've come across a new book by Gary Hamel, or Hamel, H-A-M-E-L, Humanocracy, it's called. Humanocracy, making organizations fit for the people that work in them, which I think you might enjoy. So I'll send you the link unless you can track it down. So, just moving on then, in terms of COVID, how has that affected, um, you know, the business and you personally, other than possibly, you know, um, more business itself, because of the increased number of deaths, but what's been happening in the Zeidler household in terms of work and the business?
1: Um, Well, it's been business as usual, actually, for us. Um, So as I mentioned, I'm I'm married to a, a doctor. So she's Still been going every day into to Northampton General to to, to be on the front line, uh, and that's always a, that's a great leveler for me. It's a great reminder of actually you know someone who does work that, that that you know matters so 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 well, so much more and bluntly. Um, uh, so she's carried on. I've I've got um, uh, an elder son who's been still at school and challenged with all of that, um, but he's he's at A levels, so he's been under our feet, but. Doing his best. And then, from my perspective, you know, in lockdown, we've got flexible working anyway. We've always had that. Um, Again, part of our culture is that, you know, you don't have to be in the office. You you don't have to do, you you can wear what you like. You can come and go as you like. You know, you can do as many hours as you like from wherever you like. That's all part of the culture. So it really made no impact on our business, um, the lockdown. It just meant that people were enforced to be at home rather than choosing to go into an office and uh, uh, meet up with people and occasionally, so like everyone we've we 've got all even better at using zoom um, so it 's not been a huge impact for us in fact um, i 'd rather enjoy the, um, you know sitting out in the garden a little bit more than, than than I might have otherwise. yeah, I think many people are saying that indeed
0: well, look, absolutely fascinating, Phil. Thank you so much for coming on the show i mean if you 've got any concerns about death if you'd like to explore with phil you know and find out more about the services and products i mean it does affect people's financial health emotional health mental health in so many different ways and it may well be something a worry that's on your mind phil how do people get in touch with you or get to know more about the business
1: so best way to get in touch with me either on linkedin uh phil zeigler um or the business is deadhappy.com what you'll see at the moment is the, uh, the business is very much focused on the life insurance products but over the coming months you will see a far greater content around death related services um, because we think that's an area that we just really want to focus on so and of course anyone who goes on and got any thoughts or ideas or feedback you know we would be delighted to hear.
0: Okay, so that's www.deadhappy.com. And Phil, you better spell your surname, I think, if people want to search you on LinkedIn.
1: Yes, of, of course. It's a it's slightly unusual one. That, uh, the, the surname is Z-E-I-D-L-E-R.
0: Well, there we go. Phil Zeidler, co-founder of a very new business concept, linked to insurance, but much more than that, Dead Happy. Phil, thanks so much for coming on the, on the show. Good luck with the, with the business and um, keep safe, keep well. Thanks very much, Adrian. Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed that interview. There are plenty more here on the podcast platform. And of course, you can always listen on uh, live on Tuesday evenings from 7 to 9 p.m. on Live Radio 106.9 FM or digitally via nliveradio.com. Um, if you'd like to know more about the radio station, please do look at nliveradio.com. And um, we're always looking for support from the community and further afield. So if you'd like to support us, please go to nliveradio.com slash support us. So until next time, thank you very much again for listening.